Welcome to the third season of Learning Bible Truth Ministries. I am the founder, host, and teacher, Dr. Kamala D. This ministry is here to teach you Bible truth. Teaching truth allows you to grow in faith and learn how to walk in God's amazing grace. I sometimes read entire books in the Bible so you can know the story, not just the scripture. I also teach a series about a certain subject, so I want you to invite family and friends. Get your Bibles, grab a pen and paper so you can take notes. Now sit back, relax, and learn Bible truth. Good day, saints. Today is May the 30th of the year 2022. I am the host and teacher of Learning Bible Truth Ministries, Dr. Kamala D. Now, I know we have been embarking on a series that Fred Price Sr. started back in 1997 entitled Race, Religion, and Racism. But today I'm going to stray away from that because I heard a message by his son yesterday, uh, Fred Price Jr., that I thought uh, would be beneficial to the body of Christ, including the listeners that God has uh, entrusted me with. So it's entitled, The Desolation of Society. And apparently this was episode two because he started the series last Sunday I haven't had an opportunity to uh, listen to the first episode and I think we will resume the series of race, religion, and racism. I don't know if it will be this coming weekend because I am having surgery tomorrow. Yes, I am. To God be all the glory. Hallelujah. Healed in the name of Jesus. Um, I don't know how I will be feeling by by the time the weekend get here. Um, I'm expected to be in the hospital three to four days, according to the doctor, and then come home for the rest of the healing process. Hallelujah. God is good and he is good all the time. Now, in this episode, you're going to hear a break before I uh, start because he read a letter uh, by one of um, our brothers in Christ, another minister, that he thought would be beneficial to the body of Christ for us to consider. And, you know, it's theories. And I don't typically, um, you know, give a lot of attention to theories. So I'm going to edit that part out. So um, before this message begins, it's going to seem a bit off. But it's really me starting the, the message after he reads that letter. Okay. So I want you guys to sit back and relax and listen to Bible truth. Hey, let's go to Genesis 3.14 now, because what has occurred is God's, God's human has erred, has transgressed. And as a result, there are some consequences. There are consequences to our actions, family, uh, whether we like that or not, whether we're looking forward to them or not. Uh, every action has a reaction. 
cause and effect. So as a result of disobeying God, what does God say here? Now remember, he goes to the man because that's whom he gave the command. And what does the man do? The woman you gave me. I didn't ask for her. You, you, you gave her to me. She made me do it. What does the woman do? The, the serpent. It's the serpent's fault. And what does the serpent do? Well, it, yeah, that's on me. Yeah, I did that. Okay. So what happens here in the 14th verse? It says, so the Lord God said to the serpent, because you've done this. You are cursed more than all cattle and more than every beast of the field on your belly. You shall go. There's a theory that serpents at one point had legs and and because people mostly associate the snake as the serpent or the snake with the serpent. But remember last week I shared with you a serpent that this is not a word we use in our everyday language. But a serpent was anything that crept, that crawled, that hissed, or that would sting. But because people think snake first, some believe that the snake had. And and actually, there's some stuff you can find out there online that that seems to be pretty credible, that snakes at one point had legs. And then uh, as a result of this act of disobedience, by which clearly the serpent was not acting of its own accord, the removal of the legs on your belly you shall go was the result this could simply also just be referring to a place of of humiliation and a a low status on your belly you shall go because on your belly you shall go you shall eat dust all the days of your life and so that would definitely have to be something symbolic there because we know that the serpents today that we're most familiar with snakes they don't eat dust They eat other things. And then he says this in verse 15. I will put enmity. This is the first time we see the word enmity in scripture. Enmity is hostility and hatred. And he says, I'm going to put enmity. I'm going to put hostility and hatred between you and the woman. And between your seed and her seed. Well, 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 when when he tells this serpent, I'm going to put enmity hostility and hatred between you and the woman first thought would be oh he must be referring to the wife of adam the female that's present here but but that's that's a small part of what god was saying here when he said i'm going to put this hostility and hatred between you and the woman because notice what it says next and between what your seed and and her seed and you may see a capital s there connected to her who's that referring to that's 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 the first proclamation of the coming messiah this is referring to the christ and so the woman the woman we could we could be very specific and say no the woman here is referring to mary but we could also get a little more general and say the woman is referring to israel whom Mary came out of. And Israel is referred to as a woman in scripture. And ultimately Israel comes from the loins of Adam and Eve. So I believe all of that is being said here. But bottom line, I'm going to put this enmity between you and the woman, between your seed and her seed. He shall, who's he? The seed of the woman, the Christ, the Messiah. What shall he do? He shall bruise your head, serpent. So God's ultimately talking to the devil here. 
and you serpent shall what bruise his heel meaning what that your head will be crushed by the coming messiah and now 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 you see why you see why in Luke 10 the 70 were told that 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 serpents and scorpions would be under your feet if serpents and scorpions are under my feet then then I'm crushing not just the head but the entire body of serpents and scorpions and creepy crawlers and things of that nature he shall what he shall bruise your head and you shall bruise his heel and use the word bruise here so we're talking about some contention this is this is a this is a fight this is a battle this is a war and then to the woman he says what he says what is all this now this is the result of sin this is the result of disobeying God's command there was no sin in the earth there was sin in the heavens because the devil did his sin he he did his deed when he was Hillel or Lucifer and his act of disobedience literally transformed him into the devil, Satan. But there was no sin amongst the ranks of men. The earth was sin free. But Adam let it in by disobeying God. And so now that sin's in the world, what's God doing? God is pronouncing, making known the consequences of the Adam's action. And what does he say to the woman? To the woman, he said, I will greatly multiply your sorrow and your conception or your your sorrow and conception would be greatly multiplied so that tells me that that before sin being fruitful and multiply and filling the earth was pain-free you women there's nothing like you you give birth we we can we men can only imagine what that's like and that that and and at best our imagination probably falls short you all are super women. He says, I will greatly multiply your sorrow and your conception. In pain you shall bring forth children. Your desire shall be for your husband and he shall rule over you. Now, what the devil has done is he's perverted this and he turned it into man will rule over woman. That's not what God intended. God, God did not intend for even in this, this consequence that's a result of disobedience, God still was not saying that all men will rule over all women. No, husbands rule over. And when we, of course, read the word rule, it, it can sound maybe harsh or firm. But that's not what rule means from God's standpoint. Just like when the Bible says that the elders who, who rule well are worthy of double honor. Well, I'm an elder in the church, but I'm not to rule over you like a king rules over his kingdom. That, that's not what that word rule implies. And so it's the same when it comes to the husband and wife relationship. The husband is the head because God said so, and that settles it. But heads are supposed to stand in front and lead right heads are shields and sons heads are protectors and providers heads of of marriages and heads of families say i stand in the front i take the bullets the arrows the missiles i take it all and i protect my family that's what it really means to be a head you stand in front and you lead but the devil perverted this and he turned it into man will rule over women and that's why women have experienced a degree of, of, of um, oppression 
throughout the entirety of their existence post-sin coming into the world. Paul actually brings some clarity to this in 1 Corinthians 11 when he says man is the head of woman. But what he was really saying is husband is the head of wife. He wasn't just saying that any man can tell any woman what to do. That's not what he was saying. The, the Greek words there in 1 Corinthians 11 and even these Hebrew words point to the husband-wife relationship. But once again, this is the result of sin. Sin's in the world now. So you will bring forth children in pain. Verse 17. Then to Adam he said, because you have heeded the voice of your wife and have eaten from the tree of which I commanded you, saying you shall not eat of it, cursed is the ground for your sake. Remember what I said about Genesis 2.15? God took man, he placed him in the garden to tend it and to keep it. To take care of it and to protect it. Which meant God intended for man to work, but work was more productive than you could ever imagine. Now, you're going to sweat all day. And when the day is complete, you're going to say, did I even accomplish anything? Y'all, any of you, if you have or if you do work at a desk, you ever felt like that once the eight hour day was over and then you look at your desk and you go, what did I get done? What, 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 what did I accomplish? Or you read 40 emails, but 120 came in? That's because of Adam. You can thank Adam for that. He says, cursed is the ground for your sake. In toil you shall eat of it. Toil. All the days of your life, both thorns and thistles, it shall bring forth for you. That's painful. I'm going to work hard and it's going to produce pain. And you shall eat the herb of the field, and the sweat of your face you shall eat bread till you return to the ground, for out of it you were taken, for dust you are, and to dust you shall return. This is what I love about the Bible. Here God is telling man, he's telling Adam, in a garden, in the sweat of your face you shall eat bread, and later on in another garden, the bread of life, sweated blood. The, 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 the parallels are, are undeniable. So this is the result of sin. Now, what does it produce moving forward? Well, let's look at the, let's look at the first sin committed post-Adam's disobedience. We all know what that is. Cain and Abel. I'm going to show you what Cain has sparked. And show you how his way is still here in the earth today. Let's go to Genesis 4. And let's begin with verse 1. Genesis 4.1. It says, Now Adam knew Eve his wife. Knowing your wife biblically, that's sexual relations. Adam knew his wife. And she what? She conceived. Now I want you to pay attention to the wording, family. Pay attention. We've been trained by one of the best teachers in the body of Christ to pay attention to detail. Let's pay attention to detail here. Look at this first verse, and then we're going to look at the second verse, and I want to see if you notice anything missing. Word-wise, that is. Verse 1. Now, Adam knew his wife, and she what? She conceived and bore Cain and said, I have acquired a man from the Lord. Then she bore again. Notice that she didn't conceive and bear again the scripture doesn't say she conceived and bore again no it just says she bore she conceived once but she bore twice 
What does this possibly say about Adam and Eve? I mean, about Cain and Abel. Most likely they were twins. And, and twins is not an uncommon thing in scripture, is it? No, it's not. Jacob, Esau, for example. Okay. And here's the thing about Cain and Abel. Cain and Abel are symbolic of a number of things. Cain and Abel are symbolic of, of the spirit and the flesh. Abel is symbolic of the spirit, walking according to the spirit. Cain, the exact opposite. Uh, 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 Abel is, is, is symbolic or an example of being spiritually minded. Cain is an example of what? Being carnally minded. So, so when, when she conceives, she gives birth to Cain and she says, I've acquired a man from the Lord. It says, then she bore again this time his brother Abel. Now, once again, the Bible is not saying that they are twins or were twins. I just want you to pay attention to detail. I believe they were based on the wording. But I always like to make a distinction between what the Bible says and what I think it may be saying. There's a difference between the two. Got to always be very clear about that. Fred has to make sure that he never makes Fred's thoughts or opinions or observations as dogmatic as scripture. Because I'm not God. Amen. Now Abel was a keeper of sheep, but Cain was a tiller of the ground. Hmm, sounds like Cain's work was harder, may even produce bitterness compared to Abel's. And in the process of time, it came to pass that Cain brought an offering of the fruit of the ground to the Lord. Abel also brought of the firstborn of his flock and of their fat. And the Lord respected Abel and his offering, but he did not respect Cain and his offering. And Cain was very angry and his countenance fell. Lord, why did you respect Abel's offering? Why did you respect Abel's gift, but not Cain's? I have a few ideas. Number one, most primary, is that Abel gave of the first, Cain did not. Why didn't Cain give a first fruit? He didn't. And then here's a second thing to consider, Cain gave from cursed ground. Cain's countenance falls, verse 6, so the Lord said to Cain, now listen to what he tells him. Why are you angry, Cain? You didn't bring me to first. Your brother did. Why are you mad, son? If you do well, will you not be accepted? Oh, so Cain, you didn't do well. Abel did. And if you do not do well, listen to what he says. Now, what has already occurred? Adam has disobeyed. Sin is in the world now. And look at what God tells Cain. With sin in the world. What does he tell Cain? If you do not do well, sin lies at the door. He doesn't say if you do not do well, sin immediately overtakes you. He says, if you do not do well, sin lies at the door. Right? Nor give place to the devil. And its desire is for you. Sin's desire is for you. But look at what he, tell, look at what he tells Cain in his fallen state. You should rule over it. But did he? No, he didn't, did he? He said, sin's desire is for you. You should rule over it. Well, what happens? Now, Cain talked with Abel, his brother. This is just shady right here. Cain had, Cain had to give this some thought. Cain talked with Abel, his brother, and it came to pass... 
when they were in the field that Cain rose up against Abel, his brother, and he killed him. He didn't kill him. That's not what he did. He murdered him. You need to know the difference between murdering and killing. It's not the same. People quote the commandments. They love quoting thou shall not kill. That's not a commandment. It's thou shall not murder. Car accident happens and somebody was killed. God did not. God sends Israel into battle. And the result of battle are lives lost. There's a difference between killing and now when you murder, you kill. But not every kill is a murder. That's right. And the commandment, the 10 given in Exodus 20, it's more accurately translated, thou shalt not murder. I could never murder someone, ever. I'd, I'd probably lose my mind. I might even take my own life. There's no way I could murder someone. But I could kill someone protecting my family and go right to Roscoe's and get a Jenny Jones omelet and a waffle. And lose no sleep. Protecting my family? That's, am I the only one? That's a no-brainer. That's a no-brainer. I'm not murdering you. I'm protecting mine and you ended up dying. But to just murder? Ooh, like this. One week later, didn't we just talk about it last week? How an 18-year-old who, who was, who was, oh, what's the word I'm looking for? Not programmed, but he was, he was, anyway, we'll go with programmed. And a racist 18-year-old programmed to hate blacks, decides I'm going to go into a neighborhood where there are blacks and I'm going to kill them. That's sick. That's disgusting. It's the result of sin. And while the reason is sick, you understand the sick reason. But this new one, you went into an elementary school and you killed children? That's even sicker. That's murder. That's not killing. Yeah, killing was the result of murder. That wasn't self-defense. That is this. And you know, and the devil's loving it. He's just loving it. He's going to God. Look, look at your creation. Are you impressed, God? That's his agenda playing out in the system or the world in which there's a system he runs. You look at all these recent shootings. You don't look at these shootings and go, clearly this is how God operates. You, you, don't, you don't look at these shootings and these senseless killings and murders and say, this is a reflection of heaven. No, this is a reflection of the kingdom of darkness. It is his order in this world. Once again, the earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof. But the system is temporarily being run by the adversary. And that's because Adam handed over, gift-wrapped the kingdoms of the world to the devil when he disobeyed God in that garden. And now sin is here, and what does Cain do? He murders his brother. And how much worse if they were twins? 
You murdered your mirror. You, you murdered the, the closest person to you. What happens next? In verse 9 of Genesis 4, does God do the exact same thing he did with his daddy in the garden? Adam, where are you? Is God about to ask Cain a question God already knows the answer to? What does he ask him? Where's Abel, your brother? We parents, we've asked one child where their siblings are. Where's, where's your brother? Where's your sister? The Lord said to Cain, he asked Cain, where's Abel, your brother? And what does Cain do? You, you lied to the one who knows everything? I don't know. Am I my brother's keeper? Yeah. Especially since you were the older one. Am I my brother's keeper? But I'm, follow this pattern in scripture. There's something about this second born. I've noticed in scripture. You see it with Abel. You see it with Jacob. You see it with, with Manasseh and Ephraim. Joseph crosses his hands and gives the double blessing to Ephraim and not Manasseh. Manasseh was born first. You see this pattern. That's just three examples in Genesis alone. You see it woven throughout the fabric of the Old Testament. He said, I don't know. Am I my brother's keeper? And he said, what have you done? Does God ask another question he already knows the answer to? What have you done? The voice of your brother's blood cries out to me from the ground. Your brother's blood cries. And so the Bible talks about the precious spilled blood of Jesus. How loud was Abel's blood? Was the blood of Christ louder? Your brother's blood cries out to me from the ground, so now you're cursed from the earth. Well, wait a minute. He was already cursed. M mankind, Adam, let the curse into the world. We need to pray. <laughs> All right, let's, let's bring our focus back. The body is tending to the body. Isn't that how it's supposed to be? All right. Verse 11. So now you're cursed from the earth. Well, we've seen this word cursed before. Have we not? We, we, we've seen this word cursed. Uh, we saw it in Genesis 3. I mean, he told the serpent, you're cursed more than cattle. He told Adam, cursed is the ground for your sake. He tells Adam, cursed is the ground for your sake. But then he tells Cain, after murdering his brother... You're cursed from the earth. Which has opened its mouth to receive your brother's blood from your hand. When you tilled the ground. So now this is, this is about to be worse than it was for Adam. When you till the ground, it shall no longer yield its strength to you. No longer. A fugitive and a vagabond. You're a wanderer on the earth now, Cain. Basically, you are now in a state where the odds are if you don't start your own family, which he ended up doing. If you don't start your own family, you're going to be alone forever. You, you, are, you, are, you, are, you are cursed from the earth. The ground won't yield its strength to you at all. You are a fugitive. World's first criminal, first murderer. And a vagabond you shall be on the earth. Both of these words, fugitive and vagabond. Vagabond, actually from the same Hebrew word, and it means to wander. You're going to wander now. And Cain said to the Lord, my punishment is greater than I can bear. Greater than I can bear. 
Surely you have driven me out this day from the face of the ground. I shall be hidden from your face. I shall be a fugitive and a vagabond on the earth. And it will happen that anyone who finds me will kill me. And he should have felt this way. And then God has the audacity to show a display of mercy. That's why there's no God like ours. Amen. Can you, can you see how, how, how mercy is when you don't get what you do deserve? See, God, if he, if, he, if he so chose to, could be a God of justice only 24-7. That's when everybody gets what they deserve. But while God is a God of justice, he's also a God of mercy. Yes, he is. You don't get what you did deserve. Can't deserve worse. God shows mercy. Grace is even better. That's when you get what you don't deserve. So God is a, he's a God of justice, mercy, and grace. And here he's showing Cain mercy. Verse 15, the Lord said to him, therefore, whoever kills Cain, vengeance shall be taken on him sevenfold. And the Lord set a mark on Cain, lest anyone finding him should kill him. And this is why, this is why I say a measure of mercy. Because God didn't put something on him that would prevent him from being killed. He just simply said, what? If somebody kills you, then vengeance will be taken on them sevenfold. And as a matter of fact, here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to mark you so they know you're Cain. The mark of Cain. So, sin comes into the world. And what happens? Cain murders his brother. That's the result of the sinful nature. Cain and Abel were born with a sinful nature. And yet, Abel, with the years of life that we see in Scripture, which don't happen to be a lot, Abel doesn't, doesn't in, in, in detail or in, in a uh, heinous act of any sort, Abel doesn't, we don't see his display of his sinful nature, but he has one. Everyone born into the world after Adam's disobedience is born in sin and born with the sinful nature. It's why we need to be born again. But it is obvious there is something Abel held fast to that his mother and father taught him. Where Adam and Eve, sinners in the sense that they remained in continual sin from the time that disobeyed? Well, nature-wise, yes, but it is clear in Scripture that Adam and Eve were about righting their wrong. We can see that in the Scripture because, watch this, later on in this chapter, Eve has another baby, a baby by the name of Seth. And Seth means substitution, the replacement for her baby boy, Abel, who was brutally taken away from her. And you know what Eve says when Seth is born? She says, ah, now again, men will begin to call on the name of the Lord. So that tells me that Adam and Eve, even though they erred, they wanted to do everything in their power to right their wrongs. They began to call on the name of the Lord. Eve gave God praise when Seth was born. And then when we read the genealogy of, Gen of uh, Adam and Seth in Genesis chapter 5, we see a godly line, unlike Cain's godless line, here in the remainder of chapter 4. <laughs> notice, notice in Genesis 5, it goes from Adam to Seth. There's no mention of Cain. Because Cain murdered his brother, cursed from the earth, became a wanderer with a mark set upon him so that if anyone did kill him, Revenge would be taken sevenfold. It wasn't necessarily going to protect him from being killed, but there would be a consequence for killing him, and it would be known that it was Cain. 
Now, this Cain, Cain does what? Cain commits the first sin post-sin. Cain commits the first reprehensible act once sin comes into the world. So in this new worldly state, Cain's the first sinner by, by action, not nature, but by action. And this would begin to set something in motion throughout the rest of history up until this present day. All I got to do is turn the news on and you see the way of Cain. Now, now let's go, let's go to first John because John, John talks about this in detail when he's making a distinction between God's children and the devil's children. Devil got kids too. He told Pharisees, you are of your father, the devil. Everything he says, everything he spews is a lie. He's even lying when he's telling the truth. There's a lie behind his reason for telling the truth. He told Eve the truth. But it was a deception and a lie behind it. He convinced the woman, oh, no, no, God knows you're going to be like him knowing good and evil. You'll be fine. You won't surely die. Look at what John says about, about Cain. First John, look at chapter 3 and find verse 4. First John 3, 4. Y'all still with me? Okay, watch this. It reads, whoever commits sin, but here's a better way to read it. Whoever commits themselves to sin. Whoever's committed to sin the way you're committed to your spouse. Whoever is committed to sin also is committed to lawlessness. And what is sin? Sin is lawlessness. Now I'll tell you what else this sin is and this lawlessness is also unrighteousness. Now, Jesus makes mention of this unrighteousness and this sin in Matthew 7. I'll quote it in just a moment. But look at what John says next in verse 5. And you know that he was manifested, the Son, the Christ, was manifested to take away our sins. And in him there is what? There is no sin. Whoever, listen carefully. Whoever abides in him does not sin. Whoever sins has neither seen him nor known him. Now, what can this sound like on the surface? It can sound like that whoever abides in Christ doesn't sin. Well, if you're saved in this place as I am, that means we abide in him. So is John saying that we don't sin? And then look at what he says next. If you sin, you've neither seen him nor known him. So if you do recall getting saved and you know you made a mistake after, it would sound like John is saying you don't know him. But that's not what John is saying. Let's keep reading. Little children. Oh, here it is. Now he's going to bring us some clarity. Little children, let no one deceive you. He who practices righteousness is righteous. Just as he is righteous. Oh, so John's not just talking about making a mistake. He's talking about practicing sin or unrighteousness as opposed to practicing righteousness. There's a difference between missing the mark and practicing sin. Family, I would love to say that we are all sin free, but we're not because we have sinful flesh 
and we err. But you see, because of our new nature, our righteous nature, we don't make it our aim to sin. Therefore, we're not committed to sin. And even if we do something that could be labeled premeditated, we don't feel right. We don't feel good about it. Some of us have battled addictions. And we are upset with ourselves every time we fell into it. I'm going to tell you right now, that, that's your righteous nature warring against your unsaved flesh. Because there is an unsaved nature in your flesh. And there's a righteous nature in your spirit. And they are constantly butting heads. They are in a constant tug of war. It's a constant struggle. That's why I've decided to change my language about those struggling with something. We have made that a negative. It's time to turn it around and, and turn it into a positive. You're struggling with something? Good. You haven't given in yet. That means the righteous part of you is still fighting. But when you've just given in, that's not a struggle. If you can sin today and your conscience is pricked and you feel guilt and the Holy Spirit can convict you you're in a good place. Not encouraging sin. I'm just saying that tells me your nature is still attached. This is what John is talking about. He's not just talking about missing the mark. He's talking about he or she who is either a practitioner of righteousness or unrighteousness. Look at verse 7 again. Little children, let no one deceive you. He who practices righteousness is righteous. Well, you and I, because we've been born again, we practice righteousness. We might make a mistake here, here and there, and it's not our aim to do so. But righteousness is what we practice. And, and why is that? Because he's righteous. Look at verse 8. He who sins is of the devil. See, he's not talking about he who misses the mark is of the devil. No, no, no. He who practices sin is of the devil. For the devil has... Oh, he sinned from the beginning. Can we put a pin here and go to his beginning really quickly? Just to confirm this. John said, he who sins is of the devil, for the devil has sinned from the beginning. What beginning? In the beginning when God made the heavens and the earth? Or his beginning. You know that it couldn't be the beginning of beginnings. Because God doesn't create sin. God doesn't create evil things or bad things. God creates things that can be corrupted. That's right. Once again you know him best as Lucifer. That's his Latin name. Hillel is his Hebrew name. When God created Hillel, what did he create? Light bearer. He who bears my light. My morning star. That's who God created. Hillel created the devil. Lucifer created Satan. God created the ingredients that created Satan. So that's why when we read scriptures like, I'm the Lord God, I create good and evil. Well, what's God really saying? God is saying, I have created everything, whether it's been perverted or not. 
God is not evil, therefore he can't create evil. But God has created good things that have become evil. And those evil things could not have become evil unless they were first good, which is how you know that evil needs good for evil to exist. Good does not need evil. Because God was here when there was nothing. And God is good. All the time. Does not the devil need God for his existence? Then evil needs good for its existence. Good don't need evil. God don't need Satan. But you have no God, you have no Hillel who became the devil. Now what did John say? The devil sinned from the beginning, the beginning of being the devil. And let's take a look at this quickly in Ezekiel 28. Here in Ezekiel 28, the prophet Ezekiel was told to give a lamentation a a word (laughs) a not so encouraging word a a word that should arrest your attention so that you get yourself straight he was told to give the king of Tyre a lamentation and so Ezekiel goes to this human king to give him a word And listen to how he describes this human king. Look at verse 11, Ezekiel 28. Moreover, the word of the Lord came to me saying, Son of man, take up a lamentation for the king of Tyre. Well, let's confirm. Tyre Tyre was a wealthy city. It was a wealthy Phoenician city near Sidon. Sidon was another wealthy Phoenician city. And Sidon comes from Canaan, which means Tyre comes from Canaan because Canaan comes from Ham. If we go to the table of nations, we'll see one of the sons of Canaan was Sidon. And Tyre was a neighboring city. So Tyre and Sidon, once again, these are wealthy Phoenician cities. They were dark-skinned people. The Phoenicians were dark-skinned. Our our alphabet does not come from the Greeks. It came from the Phoenicians. A dark-skinned, intelligent wealthy people and and Phoenicia while you don't really see this word in scripture but Phoenicia was a part of Canaan and of course Canaan would eventually become the land we know as what Israel okay so Ezekiel the prophet is is instructed by God to give this king a word and look at what Ezekiel says to this human Verse 12, son of man, take up a lamentation for the king of Tyre and say to him, thus says the Lord, you were the seal of perfection. The king of Tyre was the seal of perfection. Full of wisdom and perfect and beauty. The king of Tyre was full of wisdom and perfect and beauty. You were in Eden. No, he wasn't. No, he wasn't. The king of Tyre was not in Eden, the garden of God. Every precious stone was your covering, not the king of Tyre. The sardius, topaz, and diamond, beryl, onyx, jasper, sapphire, turquoise, and emerald with gold. The workmanship of your tabrets or timbrels and pipes was prepared for you on the day you were created. Not the king of Tyre. You were the anointed cherub. No, not the king of Tyre. King of Tyre is a human. A cherub is a celestial. A cherub has four faces and four wings. That's not the king of Tyre. What is Ezekiel doing? This is the law of double reference in operation. Ezekiel's going to a human king to let this human king know your behavior is like someone from the past. 
And I'm here to warn you, he had a fall and so will you. You were the anointed cherub who covers. I established you. You were on the holy mountain of God. The king of Tyre was not on the holy mountain of God. Ezekiel is describing something extraterrestrial. You walked back and forth in the midst of fiery stones. Humans can't do that. Till you were perfect. I mean, you were perfect in your ways from the day you were created. Till iniquity was found in you. What did John say? That he sinned, the devil, Satan sinned from the beginning. Here it is. Let's just look at this, this 16th verse and we'll go back to John. By the abundance of your trading. Trading. Abundance of your trading. What does that mean? Oh, this word trading, watch this. It means merchandising or trafficking. Let me tell you what Hillel was doing in the heavens. He was, he was trafficking his agenda. He was, he, he, was selling, he was selling his way of doing things to one third of the celestials. And that's why they followed him. And so you were, you, you be, uh, uh, by the abundance of your trading, you became filled with violence within and you did what? What'd you do? You sinned. And therefore I cast you as a profane thing out of the mountain of God. And I destroyed you, O covering cherub, from the midst of the fiery stones. Oh, okay. So now we read... This, this beginning sin of the devil. Go back to John. 1 John 3 now. Oh, okay. Now I see. Now I see the origin of sin. Because sin didn't begin with Adam. Sin began within man by way of Adam. Sin already existed. That's why the adversary has something to work with. But he's the harbinger of sin. Sin affected the cosmos. It hadn't affected earth yet. Not until Adam disobeyed. So, 1 John, what do we read here in, in verse 8? He who sins is of the devil, for the devil has sinned from the beginning. For this purpose, the Son of God was manifested that he might destroy the works of the devil. Whoever has been what? Born of God does not sin, for his seed remains in him, and he cannot sin because he has been born of God. Remember... Verse 7 establishes what John is exactly talking about. So I want to go back and I want to read these scriptures because once again, as believers in the Lord, we can miss the mark. But that doesn't mean we're no longer saved. As a matter of fact, one of the main reasons you know that we can err as children of God is because John, in the first verse of the second chapter, he says, My little children... I write to you so that you don't sin, but if you do, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous. He says, I'm writing so that you don't sin. But if you miss the target, guess what we have? Guess who we have? Okay, so when we go back to verse 4 now, we would read it like this. Whoever commits to sin or practices sin also practices lawlessness, and sin is lawlessness. Drop down to verse 6. Whoever abides in him does not practice sin. Whoever practices sin has neither seen him nor known him. Jesus confirms this in Matthew 7 verses 21 through 23. He says, in that day. What day is he talking about? He's not talking about the judgment seat of Christ. Because in that day, we win. Oh, that's a high day. The judgment seat of Christ is reward day. But the great white throne judgment, not so much. Mm -hmm. 
Anybody know Jesus in this place? Just by a show of hands. You know Jesus? Thank God you do. Guess where you're headed? You're headed to the judgment seat of Christ. You're going to get all of your rewards. You want to know what your worst case scenario is at the judgment seat of Christ? You want to know what the worst case scenario is? Heaven. That's your worst case scenario. Heaven with no rewards and crowns and jewels. Worst case scenario. But the great white throne judgment? Jesus said, many will say to me in that day, Lord, Lord, look at all the things we did in your name. We prophesied in your name and we cast out demons in your name. That's what they're going to say to him. This is what I love about Jesus. Jesus never actually says they did what they said they did. He just says, this is what they're going to say. And you know what his response to them is? I never knew you. Not I used to know you. Not I once knew you. I never knew you. He says, depart from me, you who practice lawlessness. Oh, the ones who practice. That's why, that's why John says, whoever sins or what? Practices sin has neither seen him nor known him. You can't be saved and practice sin. That's right. That's goes right. against your nature. You'll feel so bad. It goes against your nature. An alert would go. An alert goes off in us when we mess up. Some of us catch ourselves. If we if we almost offend somebody, we'll apologize. That's your that's that righteous nature. But when you're a practitioner of sin, you just do what you do because that's what you do. Amen. Let's look at this this next verse, verse eight, uh, verse seven. Little children, let no one deceive you. He who what practices righteousness is righteous. Look at verse eight. He who practices sin is of the devil. Look at verse 9. Whoever has been born of God does not practice sin. For his seed remains in him and he cannot what? Practice sin because he has been born of God. If you've been born of God, you can't practice sin. You can mess up. You can miss the mark, but you can't practice sin. Not those who have been born of God. Those who are of the devil, they can practice sin. Practicing sin is second nature for them. Okay, let's keep going. Look at verse 10. In this, the children of God and the children of the devil are manifest. You know who belongs to God and who belongs to the devil by what they practice. That's right. Amen. Amen. Whoever does not practice righteousness, there it is, is not of God. Nor is he who does not love. Oh, look at that one. Nor is he who does not love his brother. Loving your brother is practicing righteousness. For this is the message you heard from the beginning. That we should love one another. Not as. Uh oh. There he is. Now now Cain was. Cain did his deed in Genesis 4. We're all the way in the New Testament. And John is bringing up Cain. Oh, oh, let's keep reading. Not as Cain, who was of the wicked one and murdered his brother. Now, some people have read this and they have come up with some very interesting special effects in Scripture. They have read this and they said, oh, this right here says that Cain was of the wicked one. That means Eve slept with Adam and with the devil. (laughs) Oh, yeah. Yeah, there's a running theory that that Cain was the child of Satan by way of Eve and 
Abel was the child of Adam by way of Eve. That's not documented. I mean, I can see where they're going, but here's the problem. We already read in Genesis 4. Adam knew his wife. Adam knew his wife. She conceived and she bore Cain and then she bore Abel. So what we're reading here is, is John is saying that Cain giving into his sinful nature and doing what he did made him of the devil. So Cain was of the wicked one. He murdered his brother. And why did he murder him? Because his works were evil and his brother's righteous. Do not marvel, my brethren, that the world hates you. Because they're of a different kingdom and family, the world. You're of the word. You can't be of the world and the word. You could be of the word and live in the world, but you can't be of the world. Verse 14, we know that we have passed from death to life because we love the brethren. That is the result of our righteous nature. Loving the brethren is a part of practicing righteousness. Whoever hates his brother is a murderer like Cain. And you know that no murderer has eternal life abiding in him. You can't be saved and hate somebody. If you're saved and you hate somebody, you're not saved. Now, you can hate the devil. You can even hate hate. But you can't hate your brother. You can't walk in hate. You can't abide in hate and be saved. It's one or the other. So, so what is John doing? John's showing you the children of God and the children of the devil. The children of God do what? Practice righteousness. The children of the devil do what? Practice sin. And those who practice sin, they're likened to Cain. And support those who practice sin. Let's read this one Same last verse. Same thing. Same thing. And then we'll be done for the day. Oh, you, oh, you happy about it? <laughs> it's like that? Oh, okay. All right. Go to Jude. Just find the 11th verse. <laughs> My Lord. Just find the 11th verse. And you can see this trend. What did Adam do? He let sin into the world. What did Cain do? Murdered his brother. First crime. First sin. First, first proactive sin. First murder. And then this way was birthed as a result of his sin. Think about it. All murder is the way of Cain. Any murder is Cain. Just like any manip manipulation is Jezebel. Manipulation is somewhere in the room. Jezebel's here. Murder's in the room. Cain is here. These spirits that embody what these particular figures in scripture. Somebody, somebody wants to usurp authority. Korah is here. And the list goes on. Somebody wants to be the man. Diatrophes is here. He wanted the preeminence. Somebody loved the word. I mean the world. They love the word. Demas is here. He forsook Paul and went after the world because he loved the world. You can't love God and love the world. That's right. One or the other. But the first way, the first came. Look here in verse 11 of Jude. Woe to them. We're going to read the rest of this another day. But woe to them for they have gone in the way of Cain. They have run greedily in the area, in the error 
of Balaam for profit and perished in the rebellion of Korah. Mm -hmm. Look at that. Cain, Balaam, and Korah all hanging out together. And, and Diotrephes is their friend and Jezebel is their friend and a whole lot of them. But the way of Cain, that's murder. And murder is not just snuffing out someone's life. It's hating them. You hate your murderer. Mm-hmm. Now, like I said, if you hate the devil, great. I want to murder the devil too. Not just kill him, I want to murder him. Of course, he can't die. But he will spend eternity burning forever. And remembering everything he did. Father, we thank you for your word. Your word is life and truth. It will not, it cannot return to you void. But it will accomplish what it set out to do. It will prosper in that for which it was sent. I thank you right now that indeed the, the, the word went forth, the seed of the word planted into the hearts of those watching and listening. Father, we, we declared early on that these will be hearts of good ground whereby the seed of the word would be sown and it would produce, sown into good ground and it would produce in their hearts, visibly seen in their lives. Thank you, Holy Spirit. For making the invitations I'll mention in just a moment available to these people present and those watching online in the name of the Lord Jesus. I have two invitations for you for confession, to be born of the Spirit of God and to be filled with the Spirit of God. You can know Christ today. When you come into relationship with Christ, you become a part of the family of God, no longer a part of the family of Satan. You're either a part of one of two families, one of two kingdoms. There is no middle. You can join the family of God, the kingdom of God today. By the confession of salvation, I'll lead you in in just a moment. You can be filled with the Spirit. Being filled with the Spirit is important. It's not necessary for salvation, but it is necessary for witness. It is necessary for service. The first believers in the scriptures needed to be filled before they went into the world. So, if you don't know Jesus, you're present in this place, watching online. I always ask that everyone confess together as a sign of unity. Can bring comfort to those who are uncertain about whether they should make a life-changing decision right now. And in this moment, but simply repeat after me saying, Dear God, you said in your word, if I would confess with my mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in my heart that you've raised him from the dead, I would be saved. You said, Whoever believes in him will not be put to shame, will not perish, but have everlasting life. Well, on this day, I do now confess and I do now believe that he is Lord, that he took away the sin of the world and that you raised him from the dead. I'm now a part of his body, his church, his family and kingdom. He is my savior and Lord, my head and king. I am your child. You are my father. And I'll serve you all the days of my life. 
in the name of the Lord Jesus. Amen. Amen. Now, saints, I'll stop it right there. He uh, then goes on to invite you to be filled with the Spirit. Um, that's not necessary for salvation, but to witness for Christ. That's what being filled with the Spirit is all about. Well, you can witness for Christ with confidence and boldness and with no fear, which is why I have no fear sharing Christ. Because I've been filled with the Spirit for quite some time now. Before I was filled, I did not witness for Christ and couldn't teach. But I have been called into the ministry to teach truth, Bible truth. And I hope you were blessed by this message. I, I ask that you walk with love in your heart toward your brothers and sisters in Christ. Do not love this world because if you love this world, the love of the Father is not in you. I know a lot of you are attracted to everything you see going on in this world and you just want to live it up with the world, but I'm here to tell you, if you live your entire life for the world and you happen to leave here, there's no way you can spend eternity with Christ and you worked for Satan the entire time you were here. There's a difference in enjoying your life and living your life to the fullest without including Satan in it. And you should not support those who practice sin. If you practice sin, you hang with those who practice sin, you don't have the love of the Father in you. You can love someone and pray for them at a distance. If they are practicing sin, you should not support it. It definitely not openly support it. But you should be walking with love in your heart for all men. And your prayer should be that every man come to Christ and be saved. And saints, until next time. Um, like I said, I don't know if I will share um, the continued series of race, relig religion, and racism this weekend. Because I don't know how I will be feeling. But my intentions are to start, uh, to start back. And um, probably won't resume where we left off because a lot of it is repetitive. So I'm going to jump ahead. I've been listening to the CDs to see which ones I'm going to play next. But saints, I am here to tell you, um, my brother in Christ, Fred Price Jr. is an excellent teacher of this word. And he, he is the seed of his father, Fred Price Sr. Apostle Fred Price Sr. He was Dr. Price when he started that race, religion, and racism series. But in any event, they are true men of God. They are true to this word. They will not compromise the word of God for anyone. And I promise God that I will not compromise his word for anyone. It doesn't matter what you hear someone say from the pulpit, but are they really speaking on behalf of God? Because if they are telling you something contrary to what the word is teaching in that Bible, because that's our resource, I think you need to get from under those teachings because Jesus said for us to avoid false teachers. So saints, until next time, I love you. I hope you love me. I'll be praying for you. You continue to pray for me. In Jesus' name, peace out. hope you were enlightened by this message. If you have any questions or comments about this message, you can contact us by emailing talkingbibletruth.cd at gmail.com. 
If you would like to sow a seed in this growing ministry, you may access the front page on the podcast you are listening to and click on the support button. Or you can cash out the ministry at dollar sign Dr. Kamala D. That is at dollar sign capital D lowercase r capital C lowercase a m a l e capital D and donate any amount. And remember, God loves a cheerful giver, and so do we. So until next time, believers, faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God, not the word of man. We walk by faith and not by what we see. I am your host and teacher, Dr. Kamala D., serving you with Christ Jesus, our Lord, in peace and love. I thank each of you for tuning in, and I hope to hear from you soon. Peace out.